I am Eve Hoffman, a sixth-generation Georgian, a poet for the last 15 years. Today, I've chosen books in three different genres, a novel, a book of poetry, and a book of narrative nonfiction. I'll begin with Dorothy Allison's Bastard Out of Carolina, written in 1993, a book I do not recommend for bedtime reading. This story of love and abuse, hardship and moments of happiness in a rural southern white family has its origin in Allison's life. It unfolds through the eyes of the girl-child bone. The family is poor. The mother marries into a wealthy family, which is not necessarily an easy thing. Her life, Bone's life, was really tough and filled with physical and sexual violent abuse from her stepfather. It was also filled with the guilt that came along with that. But Bone also had some really lovely, beautiful moments. I'm going to read you a few little pieces from the book. I worked in Alma's garden, saving what I could of her herbs and flowers. This was after puppies had chewed them up. And put in some seedlings and cuddlings Raylene brought by. The days were a gift, long and warm, the nights quiet and cool. I slept dreamlessly and woke up at peace. I'd planned to go off on a picnic, had packed a cloth bag with a bottle of tea and lemons, and was spreading bread with peanut butter to go with it. The puppies had gotten into the kitchen and were tumbling over themselves to beg me for treats. I gave them each one teaspoon of peanut butter and dragged them out on the porch to watch them chew and yawn and try to lick the tops of their mouths. Like I say, it's not bedtime reading, but it is extraordinary. The next book I want to talk about is by Natasha Trethewey. Atlanta people may know her as the as a winner of the Pulitzer Prize and then Poet Laureate of the United States. Her newest book is called Thrall, published in 2012. And I must admit, I had to look up the definition of thrall. It's the state of being in someone's power or having great power over someone, slave, servant, or captive. These poems explore Trethaway's own interracial background alongside race and race-mixing history in the Americas, both North and South. Her black mother and white father illegal in the Mississippi of her youth. Many of these poems are rooted in paintings and photographs. The book, dedicated to her aging father, is also a love story. And finally, I recommend an author that only recently have I become familiar with, Trudier Harris. Her book, Summer Snow, Reflections from a Black Daughter of the South, published in 2003. It's a series of essays that are 
at both at once historical and personal. The contents page in this book reads like a story in itself, and it invites you to open the book anywhere. Fishing is a chapter, the ubiquitous hair, the price of desegregation. There's a chapter called Black Nerds. And one of my favorites is Porch Sitting as a Creative Southern Tradition. Another lovely chapter is called Cotton Picking Authority. I will read just a little from that. Anyone who is the daughter or son of black parents and grandparents born in the South in the first five decades of the 20th century is subjected to endless tales about the plight those parents and grandparents suffered in comparison to what their offspring have had to endure, which the parents generally view as a less physically difficult life. Validating their experiences usually boils down to an essential phrase that might have slight variations in its delivery. You ain't never picked no cotton. You never had to pick cotton. So, if that phrase does not emerge in the conversation, general references to the hardship of working in cotton will serve to illustrate the relatively, quote, easy life descendants have in comparison to the lives of their parents. Cotton Pickin' Authority posits, first of all, that physical labor is preferable to brain work, or at least that brain work should occupy a comfortable second place in the hierarchy. There is a certain romance surrounding the people who each spring would get out of bed at four in the morning, hitch up their horses and mules, and be in the fields by early light to begin the process of breaking new ground for seeds. They worked all day, literally from can't see to can't see, and were still able to appreciate their families for a short while before they retired to bed to begin the process all over again the next day. And of course, you pair that with a chapter called Black Nerds. I'll end with a few lines from Harris's preface, which are good examples of my expectations for a good read. They take me to an unexpected place. It's a good story and language which leaves no doubt about where I am. Blacks in the era knew instinctively what they could and could not do in Tuscaloosa. We could shop in a white-owned business, such as a clothing store or a shoe store, but we could not be leisurely in trying on merchandise. Consequently, many of us grew up with ill-fitting shoes that left cosmetic scars or had more serious consequences in the way we walked. Thank you again, TPP, for having me. I hope I've challenged some of you to read an author you may not be familiar with.